0: the Roman Pantheon. If your imagination is fried from trying to reconstruct ancient buildings out of today's rubble, visit the Pantheon, Rome's best-preserved monument. This building, more than any other, gives us a feel for the magnificence and the splendor of Rome at its peak. Hi, I'm Rick Steves. Thanks for joining me on a walk through this ancient domed temple. Engineers still admire how the Romans built such a mathematically precise structure without computers fossil fuel machinery, or electricity. We'll marvel at the magnificent dome, learn how it was built, see where Romans paid homage to their pagan gods, and visit the tombs of some famous people buried here. Allow about half an hour for this tour as we stand under the Pantheon's Solemn Dome and gain a new appreciation for the enlightenment of these ancient people. How to use this audio guide. As you can see from the display window on your MP3 player, each of our stops in the Pantheon has its own title and track number, much like the song tracks of a music CD. To help you along, I've invited my colleague, Lisa Brown. Welcome, Lisa. Buongiorno. She'll give directions from one exhibit to the next. After listening to her directions, you can pause the audio guide, then restart it as you like. If you're taking this tour with my Rick Steves Audio Europe app, don't miss its latest features. There are zoomable maps, showing the route and each stop. These are viewable while you listen. A 20-second rewind button allows you to catch something you might have missed or hear vital directions a second time. And the speed button makes me talk faster, chipmunk style. You can read the actual script of this tour, and if you'd like more information on the spot, you can download our entire guidebook on this destination with a couple of clicks. Those following this tour on their iPod rather than with my fancier app may find that my guidebook to this place with its maps, photos, and exhibit titles can make following this audio tour easier. Now, let's check out this Pantheon. Lisa, start us off. Thanks, Rick. The tour begins. View of the exterior.
1: We'll start our tour in the square in front of the Pantheon called Piazza della Rotunda lined with restaurants and with an obelisk and fountain in the center. Stand at the top of the square with a good view of the Pantheon. The entrance is marked by tall columns holding up a triangular pediment, and the whole structure is topped with a shallow dome. The dome is not so impressive from here, but wait till we get inside.
0: Rick? The Pantheon was a Roman temple dedicated to all Pan of the gods, Theos. The original temple was built in 27 B.C. by the son-in-law of Caesar Augustus, Marcus Agrippa. In fact, the inscription below the triangular pediment proclaims in Latin, M. Agrippa, L.F. cos tertium fetchit, and so on. Marcus Agrippa, son of Lucio, three times consul, made this. But after a couple of fires, the structure we see today was completely rebuilt by the emperor Hadrian around 120 A.D. Hadrian, an amateur architect, may have actually helped design it. Hadrian was a voracious tourist, personally visiting almost every corner of his vast empire. As he traveled, he soaked up knowledge of all kinds, returning home to beautify the city with structures based on great buildings he'd seen abroad. The Pantheon entrance has the distinct look of a Greek temple, columns, crossbeams, and pediment. But if you were to walk around it, you'd see that the Pantheon is very different. Other than the entrance, it's built on a circular foundation. Most of it is made not of large blocks of marble like a Greek temple, but of thousands and thousands of bricks. In typical Roman style, the walls are a shell of brick filled in with poured concrete, creating walls 20 feet thick. Embedded in the walls are what architects call blind arches, where the bricks form the shape of an arch to reinforce the walls. Now turn your attention to the building's famous dome. Frankly, from the outside, that shallow dome isn't very impressive. But as we'll see when we go inside, the dome is what makes this building unique, perhaps the most influential building in art history. Its dome was the model for the Cathedral Dome in Florence, which launched the Renaissance, and for Michelangelo's dome in St. Peter's, which capped it all off. Even Washington, D.C.'s Capitol building was inspired by this dome. Before we go inside, take a second to admire the piazza, In ancient times, this was an elegant and shaded gathering place with covered walkways. The ancient Romans introduced the whole piazza culture, and you can see it still thrives to this day. The fountain in the piazza is topped with an Egyptian obelisk. This obelisk once graced a temple in ancient Rome dedicated to the Egyptian goddess Isis. The Romans, an eclectic and pragmatic bunch, welcomed foreign gods. They allowed their subjects to worship whoever they wanted, just as long as they paid their taxes and pledged allegiance to the emperor. The more gods, the merrier, which is what the Pantheon was all about.
1: Now let's get a closer look at the Pantheon. Start walking toward the portico, or entrance porch, with its huge columns.
0: As you descend to the Pantheon level, notice how high the city has risen around it, built upon 20 centuries of rubble.
1: Continue on into the Shade of the Portico.
0: The Portico. Wander through the forest of 16 enormous columns. They're 40 feet tall and 15 feet around, made of red and gray granite. Whereas many ancient columns are actually made from a series of cylindrical drums stacked up, these columns are a single piece. Think of the engineering challenges alone of erecting these 55-ton columns. They were quarried and carved in faraway Egypt, so they had to be shipped across the Mediterranean, transferred to barges and floated up the Tiber, then carried overland to this spot, where they were lifted into place using only ropes, pulleys, and lots of sweaty slaves. It's little wonder that the Romans, so organized and rational, could dominate their barbarian neighbors. Besides the columns, this entrance portico was once even more impressive. The ceiling was covered with shiny bronze plating. Check out the giant doorway, 23 feet tall and made of bronze. Some say the door is original. Other scholars remind us that it's been continuously renovated, so little of the original remains and the monumental doorway was flanked by statues of Emperor Augustus and Marcus Agrippa, the men who built the original Pantheon. Although much of the marble and decoration of the Pantheon's exterior was looted over the centuries, the mathematical perfection of the interior is as fresh today as the day Hadrian himself first walked through these doors.
1: Now let's go inside. Strut like an emperor through those big bronze doors. Once inside, your eye will be drawn upward to the magnificent dome. Wander around or take a seat and let the dome fill your field of vision.
0: The Pantheon Interior Under the Dome Wow! This dome, which was the largest made until the Renaissance, set on top of a circular building, is a testament to Roman engineering. The dome is exactly as high as it is wide, 142 feet from floor to rooftop and 142 feet from side to side. To picture it, imagine a basketball set inside a giant wastebasket so that it just touches the bottom. Now put this into an imaginary box that's a perfect cube. Even if you're not a mathematician and you've forgotten all those equations about pi r squared and so on, the perfection and symmetry of the building makes a strong subconscious impression. The dome is newly cleaned and feeling loftier than ever. It's made from concrete, a Roman invention. The dome gets lighter and thinner as it rises to the top. The walls at the base of the dome are 20 feet thick, made from heavy concrete mixed with heavy travertine stone. Near the top, Where weight becomes a bigger issue than strength, it's less than five feet thick and made with a lighter volcanic rock, pumice, mixed in. Note the square indentations in the surface of the dome. This coffered ceiling reduces the weight of the dome without compromising its strength. The coffers taper as they rise, directing the eye upward. How did they build this dome that spanned such a wide expanse? That's what medieval folks wondered and they spun legends about how the dome was supported with a huge mound of dirt. The dirt, they said, was laced with coins so that when it was done, the poor would haul the dirt away. Actually, though, the dome was built using wooden scaffolding to support wooden molds as they poured the concrete. In Renaissance times, both Brunelleschi and Michelangelo studied this dome before building their own in Florence and at the Vatican. In building St. Peter's Basilica, The popes wanted to exceed the grandeur of the ancients by combining two ancient structures, the Basilica of Constantine in the Forum, topped with a dome like the Pantheon. At the top of the dome is the eye in the sky, the opening called the Oculus, 30 feet across. This sunroof is the building's only light source. So what happened when it rained? They got wet. Oh, Rick. Fortunately, the floor was designed with holes in it. You'll see them if you look around and it slants toward the edges to let the rainwater drain. The floor is 1,800 years old. Though much of the floor's marble has been replaced over the years, the design, alternating circles and squares, is original. In fact, most of the Pantheon looks very much like it did back then, despite several renovations over the millennia. Oh, the statues and the niches are different, and the drum, that's the cylindrical wall at the base of the dome, was once lined with columns. But otherwise, we stand beneath the same dome and experience the same wonder as the ancients.
1: Now turn your attention to ground level with its various statues and niches. Start with the main altar. It's straight ahead, directly opposite from where you entered. The altar is marked with a row of candlesticks. Behind it, in an otherwise empty niche, there's a tiny picture in a frame showing Mary holding baby Jesus. Admire this Christian imagery while Rick explains how the building functioned in ancient times as a pagan temple.
0: The Main Altar, From Jupiter to Mary Back then, the Pantheon, the temple to all the gods, was a one-stop shopping temple where all faiths were welcome. No one knows exactly how the Pantheon was used, but archaeologists can speculate based on ancient texts and similar structures. Entering the temple, Romans likely came face-to-face with a larger-than-life statue of Jupiter, the king of the gods, in the central niche where the altar stands today. The dome overhead probably represented the dome of heaven where the gods lived. The other niches which today hold Christian images may have held statues of the heavenly gods, the sun, the moon, and the known planets. These were major deities who controlled the stars and your daily horoscope. But the Romans had thousands more, each one dedicated to a different part of their lives, the god of bread-making, of fruit trees, even the god of manure. Romans were obsessively superstitious, and a visit to the Pantheon was a way to appease the fickle gods, lest they smite you with bad juju. Priests could interpret the will of the gods by cutting animals open and studying the internal organs. The way a flock of birds flew overhead could be an omen, and a clap of thunder was enough to postpone your daughter's wedding day. The Pantheon was not only for all the gods, it was also for all the people, one of the rare public temples that let ordinary Romans, not just priests, go inside.
1: These days, instead of statues of gods, the Pantheon now holds tombs of famous Italians. Let's look at a few. To find our next stop, face the altar and turn your attention to the next niche to the left at about 11 o'clock. There you'll see a statue of a Madonna and child. Beneath that statue is a glass niche with a coffin inside. This is the Tomb of Raphael.
0: The Tomb of Raphael The artist lies inside this stone coffin. The Latin inscription along the top honors the man who could capture nature with a brush. It reads, Hile hic est Raphael. Here lies Raphael. In life, nature feared to be outdone by him. In the artist's death, she feared she too would die. To the left of the tomb is a bronze bust of Raphael, the handsome painter with the flowing locks, who lived from 1483 to 1520. One of the holy trinity of Renaissance artists, Raphael combined the serene grace of Leonardo with the dramatic power of Michelangelo. He perfected his craft in Florence before being called to Rome, working in the Vatican Palace at the same time Michelangelo was laboring down the hall on the Sistine ceiling. Besides his artistic talents, Raphael charmed everyone with an easygoing personality that epitomized the effortless grace of the Renaissance man. He hobnobbed equally with kings, popes, businessmen, and beautiful ladies. In his will, Raphael asked to be buried here in the Pantheon. Above the tomb is a statue of a Madonna and child done by a fellow artist that Raphael himself commissioned. City fathers were glad to honor the man who'd done so much to beautify the city of Rome and the Vatican with frescoes, tapestries, and paintings. Now Raphael lies under the very dome he used to sketch for its perfect dimensions.
1: The Pantheon also contains tombs of Italian royalty. We'll start with the first king of the modern Italian nation. He's buried on the opposite side of the Pantheon from the tomb of Raphael. So start heading across the Pantheon, walking beneath the oculus of the dome to the opposite side.
0: As you walk, think of how this building has been a temple honoring the pagan gods, a church honoring the saints and now serves to honor the secular saints of the arts and the Italian nation.
1: Soon you reach the tomb of Victor Emmanuel II.
0: Tombs of Italy's Kings, Victor Emmanuel II. The Roman eagle and the inscription Padre della Patria, father of his country, announces that King Victor Emmanuel II was the leader of Italy when it united in 1870. In the mid-1800s, Italy was divided into a number of separate states ruled by foreign powers. Victor Emmanuel, as head of the small northern Italian province of Piedmont, was the only Italian-blooded king. His family, the Savoys, were one of Europe's oldest royal families dating from the 10th century. As Italian nationalists rose up, Victor Emmanuel became the rallying point. They drove out the foreign rulers and made Italy a parliamentary democracy with Victor Emmanuel as the symbolic head. If you've been to Piazza Venezia, the huge white Victor Emmanuel monument is dedicated to him and to modern Italy. When Victor Emmanuel died, his son became king.
1: His son was Umberto I, He's buried on the opposite side of the Pantheon, back near Raphael. So recross the Pantheon to get a closer look. His burial spot is marked with a monument made of porphyry marble. It's the color purple, which has long symbolized royalty. The monument is topped with a ceremonial crown sitting atop a stone pillow.
0: The Tomb of Umberto I Umberto ruled during a time of great social change as Italy was making the transition from rural feudalism to being an industrial democracy. Beneath the tomb of Umberto lies his queen and first cousin, Margherita. Her sense of fashion and extravagant collection of pearls made her the toast of European royalty and the bane of Italian liberals. Margarita is best known as the person for whom the classic pizza margarita was named in 1889. With green basil, white mozzarella, and red tomato sauce, it's the colors of the Italian flag. Though great patriots, Margarita and her husband were both unbending conservatives, and Umberto was shot by an assassin in 1900. After Umberto's death, Italy was ruled by his son and grandson. So why aren't they buried here? Umberto's son, Victor Emmanuel III, ruled for 44 years, but lost favor because he collaborated with Mussolini and the fascists. During World War II, instead of standing by his people, the king abandoned Rome to the Germans and fled. After the war, the Italians voted for a republic and proclaimed that no male Savoy could ever again set foot on Italian soil. In 2003, descendants of the Savoy kings were allowed back into Italy for the first time but they've demonstrated a knack for bad press relations and saying stupid things. They still complain that Italy owes them money, even while living in stunning wealth in Switzerland. Still, these tombs are a hit with Italian royalists and social conservatives. You may see fresh flowers placed here by fans. There's often a white-gloved guard standing by a guest book where visitors can register their support for Italy's controversial royal family, the Savoys. Today, this would-be royal family of Italy is back in the country, but nowadays they're known more for appearances on TV game shows than for any serious political aspirations or relevance.
1: You've seen the main sights of the Pantheon. Now take a chance to just stroll around. Admire the statues and monuments, while Rick brings us up to date on how the Pantheon has evolved over the centuries.
0: More Pantheon Sites, the Legacy of the Pantheon. As you wander, admire the rich decor. Enjoy the different colors of marble. There's a variety of columns, some round, some squarish, some fluted, most with leafy Corinthian capitals. As you stroll, you'll see statues, busts, frescoes, plaques, paintings, and golden mosaics. These treasures memorialize 2,000 years of history. Remember, the Pantheon got its start in ancient times as a shrine to all of the Roman gods. But apparently, those thousands of gods didn't quite do it for the Roman people. In the 2nd and 3rd centuries, these gods were gradually replaced by the rise of monotheistic religions from the East. In 312 A.D., Emperor Constantine legalized and embraced Christianity. By 390, the Christian god was the only legal god in Rome. The Pantheon fell into neglect and disrepair as the empire crumbled. When the city was looted and vandalized by barbarians, some of the exterior marble was carried off, but the building itself remained intact. In 609, the Pantheon was saved from architectural cannibalism when it became a Christian church, from all the gods to all the martyrs. The big statue of Jupiter was replaced by the Virgin Mary, ensuring its upkeep right through the Dark Ages. The only major destruction came during the Renaissance when a pope took the bronze plating from the ceiling of the entry porch and melted it down. If you want to see it today, you'll have to go to St. Peter's, since some of it was used to build the huge bronze canopy over the altar. Also in Renaissance times, Raphael oversaw a renovation of this building. A few centuries later, the Pantheon became the final resting spot of the Italian kings who first ruled modern Italy. And these days, visitors from around the world pack the place to remember the greatness of classical Rome. The Pantheon is the only ancient building in Rome continuously used since its construction. The year 2009 marked the building's 1400th anniversary as a church. It's still a place where young couples get married, and where Romans attend Mass to gaze up into the dome and commune with heaven. If the sun's out during your visit, don't leave without checking out one final timeless sight. The Pantheon contains the world's greatest Roman column. There it is, the pillar of light shining through the oculus, spanning the entire 142 feet from heaven to earth. We hope you enjoyed your walk through the Pantheon thanks to Gene Openshaw, the co-author of this tour. If you're up for more sightseeing, you're right in the thick of it. Several interesting churches are clustered nearby, and the colorful Piazza Navona and the Trevi Fountain are both just a short walk away. We also have audio tours available for more Roman sites. They cover the Colosseum, the Forum, and the Sistine Chapel. Remember, this tour was excerpted from the Rick Steves' Rome Guidebook, co-authored with Gene Openshaw. For more details on eating, sleeping, and sightseeing in Rome and environs, refer to this year's edition of that guidebook. For more free audio tours and podcasts, and for information about our guidebooks, TV shows, bus tours, and travel gear, visit our website at ricksteves.com. This tour was produced by Cedar House Audio Productions. Grazie.
1: Arrivederci.
0: And bon viaggio.